0: The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men. But he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife i'm truly sorry to distress you but i'm just not going with you to church this christmas eve he said he'd feel like a hypocrite that he'd much rather just stay home but that he would wait up for them so he stayed and they went to the midnight service now shortly after the family drove away in the car snow began to fall he went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier then he went back to his fireside chair began to read his newspaper minutes later he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm. In a desperate search for shelter, they had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So, he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them. But how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them, and speak their language, and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they could see, and hear, and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells at Desta Fidelis, listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully merry Christmas.
1: How many recognize that voice? <clears throat> if you don't know who that is, Paul Harvey had a, a news show that he did for years. And he would do, excuse me, little inspirational talks. He was a Christian and he would talk about history. But what's his famous line? The rest of the story. The rest of the, he would either start, here's the rest of the story or that's the rest of the story. I thought coming out of Christmas, we just hope you all had a good Christmas. We had two, two great Christmas Eve services here and then some rest, which was good. But coming out of this Christmas season into the new year, moving from the manger onto what is the rest of the story? What's the rest of the story of the life of Jesus? What is, how did his life unfold after his birth? Because obviously he didn't stay the babe in the manger. He, he grew up to live, teach, and ultimately die for us and <clears throat> rise again. So we're kicking off a brand new series. If you're a guest with us and I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Scott. I have a privileged responsibility of pastoring here and teaching. So before we go any further, let me pray. Father, I pray this morning for us to get to know your son more in 21. That's our prayer, to get to know Jesus, your heart Jesus, you came to reveal what the Father was truly like. We thank you for it. Be the teacher today, Holy Spirit. We don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from from your heart. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So kicking off a brand new series in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to trek through this for the next several weeks and look at the life of Jesus, what happened in his life, what did he teach, and ultimately you know, crescendoing at, at the cross and the resurrection. In Luke's gospel, the word kingdom is used 44 times. This series is called Kingdom Come. Now, this might challenge you a little bit, but people, I've heard people all my Christian life, hear people and teachers say that Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. You know, that's simply not true. Because the word Kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they're interchangeable. Jesus talked more, way more about heaven and heaven's reality. He, in the four Gospels, Jesus mentions the word hell 11 times. Kingdom or heaven, he mentions 253 times. So I think he came on a message to, to, be, to show us what the kingdom was, was, was like. In Luke 11... The disciples asked Jesus, they say, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is the kingdom. He, he ushered in the kingdom. Creation, Israel, all pointed towards the crescendo in the man, Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And so I want to read this morning out of Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 39 through 52 thoughtfully this morning. Verse 39, and when his parents had completed everything in accordance with the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. Let me stop there just for a second. What had happened was, you know, after Jesus was born, he was presented in the temple on the eighth day, just in accordance with the Jewish law. And then they went went back from Jerusalem and, and back to Nazareth, 65 miles. Keep that in mind. And it says in verse 40, now the child continued to grow and to become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, in between verses 40 and 41 is a 12-year gap where we know nothing really about Jesus' life. What happened in his childhood years? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what, what was Jesus' childhood like? I think it's important to ponder. There was a movie that came out years ago called The Young Messiah. And I didn't like everything about the movie, but it was a, their best scriptural approach to what was Jesus' life like when he was little, like seven, eight years old. Fascinating movie, fascinating something to think about. So it goes on 12, 12 years later in verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Let me stop there for a second. Um, have I told you lately that I've been to Israel? It's, it's 2021, I had to get one in already. But yeah, we went to Israel <laughs> year and a half or so ago, coming up on two years. And it's 65 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So every year, Mary and Joseph and family in a caravan of other families would go 65 miles. Walk. I mean, think about it. they get getting their steps in. I did the math. Our, If we were to walk from here, all of us, We'd have to, the distance to there would be like us walking to Fort Collins. That's a long way. And they did it every year. So they were probably in pretty good shape. It says, and when he was 12 years old, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days required, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Instead, they thought he was somewhere in the caravan, and they went a day's journey, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Let me stop there for a second. When my middle daughter Chandler, when she was about six years old, six or seven years old in that neighborhood, took her on a daddy-daughter breakfast outing at that classy place called McDonald's, and um, we were in the little play area, and we were the only ones in the play area. And she was up playing in the little, whatever you call it, not the ball pit, but just the little slides and all that. And I went literally from here just past the drum kit to refill my coffee. And I, I came back in, and I said, Chandler, where are you? Crickets. Heart, you know, parent instinct kicks in. Chandler, where are you? Silence. <laughs> And I turned around and this guy saw my face and he said, are you okay? And I said, no, I can't find my daughter, dad of the year. Seen way too many movies, heard too many stories. And literally in that moment, I turned around and she comes down the slide. Hi, dad. And I was like, oh, you gave me a heart attack. You ever been there as a parent? That's the bad feeling to think you've lost your kid. Now, times that by three days of not seeing your 12-year-old son. Mary and Joseph were panicking, obviously. Michael Jr., the the Christian comedian, does a pretty funny bit about uh, this story. And he's like, what did Joseph pray when he began to talk to the Lord about this? Like, Lord, is Jesus your only begotten son, or do you have one more that maybe (laughs) he wasn't sure So it goes on, then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and questions. And all, it, it, when Joseph and Mary saw him, they were bewildered. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And yet, on their part, they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued to be subject to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, and stature, and in favor with God and people. We just celebrated Christmas, which is, the theological word for that is the incarnation. God became one of us. God the Son. We we, we worship and are created by a God who is, is one being that exists eternally in the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the Son came and took on human flesh. That's what we're celebrating there. It took on that for us. The, the Creator, the Scripture says that Jesus created all things and He sustains all things. The Creator came into His creation and became part of it. That's mind-blowing to think about. Fully God, fully human, just like we, just like us. You touch your skin, your face, just like us. Now, what insights do we get from this passage about Jesus? I think there's several cool things to, to ponder about Jesus. The humanity of Jesus is something we don't think about enough. The humanity, Jesus was not a superhero. He wasn't superhuman. He was just human. Human. He entered the human condition. Fallen world. Jesus is humble. Jesus made himself vulnerable. Think about that. He, he had to spend nine months in his mom's womb just like all of us did. Think about that. What was going on in his, his, his little mind as it was growing? He is sustaining the universe with his mind. And yet made himself vulnerable. He had to have his diapers changed. He got sunburned when he got too much sun. I got a stomachache. I mean, we had this vision of Jesus that he just walked around with his little robe and sash, and life was perfect for him. No, he, he when he was a carpenter, so when he probably banged his thumb with a hammer, of course he didn't swear, but but I'm, I'm sure that happened to him. He, he bruised himself. He experienced all of that, you know, that we we experience. So here's a couple thoughts. Jesus grew up physically emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. He had to grow up just like you and I, just like your kids. He had to grow physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And I think when you begin to focus on the humanity of Jesus, you begin to understand the vastness of what this really means for you and I. Secondly, Jesus grew into his understanding of who he was. Think about that. He had a self-realization slowly through his childhood years in the temple as he would, you know, read scripture or his parents would tell him who he was, the Holy Spirit anointing him. Jesus' first words weren't, I'm the Messiah. (laughs) We tend to think that though. He had to, in his humanity, stay with me, in his humanity, he had to realize who he was. And I'm sure there was some point in time that he had several aha moments that let up, boom, I know who I am and I know who my father is and I know what my mission is. Thirdly, Jesus grew by going through the struggles of the human experience, the struggles of obedience and, and temptation. In a few weeks, we're gonna look at his temptation in the desert and, and see how he, 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 he conquered that. In um, Hebrews chapter five, it says this about Jesus. But even though he was a wonderful son, he learned to listen and obey through all his sufferings. Let me stop there. Obviously, you could point to the cross and the ultimate suffering, but the word here is, is more about normal human experience. Here's what you need to know about Jesus. He's experienced grief. That's part of the human experience. Pain, all the things that we go through in the human experience, he's experienced. Remember the video, the man and the birds? He had an aha moment. The only way I can relate to these birds is if I could become a bird. Well, God had that plan from, from eternity past. You know, all up until the time of Jesus, Abraham, Moses, David, they had a false, they had some falseness in their understanding about God. They didn't fully see him. No one ever understood what God was like until Jesus came. He said no no one has ever seen God, but God the Son has made him known by his life. He's made us understand what God is like. So many people have a warped view of God, especially God the Father, because based upon their own earthly fathers, their own earthly experience, or somebody in authority. But I want to tell you that if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He is what God is like. He's the very face of God. And after being proven perfect in this way, he has now become the source of eternal salvation to all those who listen to him and obey. For God has designated him as king-priest Who is over the priestly order of Melchizedek. And then, thirdly, Jesus grew in wisdom. It's kind of crazy to think about, but he grew in wisdom. Again, this self understanding as he read the scriptures, as as the Spirit opened his mind, he started, he grew in wisdom. He didn't come out as a baby. You know, he was obviously miles ahead of everybody else, 12 years old, stunning the scholars and, the, and all of that. But he grew in that. Now, about 500, 600 years before Jesus walked the earth, the prophet Isaiah gives all these prophecies about Jesus. And one in particular is in verse 50, chapter 50, verse 4. Jesus speaking prophetically about himself through the prophet says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. The word disciple means learner. He's given me the tongue of a learner so that I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Jesus grew in that. He, that's why he can give us a word when we're weary. He's been there. He's been through it. He's been in the trenches. And Jesus learned wisdom by listening every morning to his father. Jesus lived in that perfect relationship with his heavenly father. Wisdom, a couple things about that. Wisdom is knowledge with understanding. It's more than just having a bunch of stuff in our heads, but it's, it's wisdom that's, that's with understanding that's lived out. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. Jesus' life shows us what life is like from God's perspective, God's vantage point. Now, as God, I believe Jesus instinctually desired to do his Father's will. Now, that makes me think about the, the in the Garden of Eden, right? There was trees that they were to, Adam and Eve were told that they could eat from. You can eat from any of these trees. I'm just going to reserve this this is the tree. This one tree for myself, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you can have the tree of life and all this other good fruit. And we know what happened. They were duped by the evil one to believe that God was holding out on them and to believe that God wasn't good. And we've been believe, believing that lie ever since, that God's, he's out there, he's, he's this, and he's not interested in us. But Jesus came To show that how interested God is in us and how much he loves us. And Jesus, he never ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The eating from the tree of the knowledge good and evil is saying, I want to be my own boss. God doesn't really know what's best for me. God's, God's not good. Eating from the tree of life, which Jesus did every day, is believing that God is good And that he actually knows what's best for us and has our best intention at heart. Jesus walked in that tree of life all the time. And while he did that, he was undoing the disobedience of Adam by his obedience. That's what he was doing as our our representative, undoing that, that work of Adam. And then wisdom is seen in actions. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and uh, they were talking about John the Baptist. Jesus had just praised John the Baptist and how great of a man he was. And they said, Jesus said, you say John has a demon. And he said, me, the son of man, has come eating and drinking, friends with sinners, and, and you don't understand what's going on. You don't have a clue. And he says, wisdom is proved right by her actions. It's more action than it is up here in how we live that kind of life, how Jesus lived. So when we're focusing on the humanity of Jesus, him growing, what insights do we gain about ourselves? Let's switch gears. What do we learn about ourselves? First of all, if Jesus pursued maturity, so should we. If Jesus pursued maturity, so should we. Physical, physical maturity happens naturally. Spiritual maturity happens supernaturally. Little Channing Sump, that little bundle of joy, cutest little dude right now, that smile, he is going to grow up to be a man and probably a very handsome man. But he's going to grow up. And if he doesn't grow, like something's wrong. If somebody doesn't grow physically, there's a problem. Well, spiritual maturity happens supernaturally as we cooperate with the Lord, as we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. God is partnered with us to pursue becoming spiritually mature, to growing in our understanding of ourselves and God. Secondly, if Jesus pursued wisdom, so should we. If he pursued wisdom and he grew in, in, in wisdom and favor with the Lord so should we. Wisdom, I would say this, wisdom is learning how to respond to people, learning how to respond to circumstances, life, like Jesus would. And we all fall short. We know that we are the imperfect following the perfect Savior, right? We're all on a, on a journey of growing to be people who love better, people who know how to, to receive God's love and give his love to others, where it's a process that we're in. Jesus is, he's the model human being. Often we say, we make a mistake, hey, I'm only human. You know, that's actually not true. We're becoming human. Jesus is the only one that's ever walked in true humanity as in, in relationship, loving God and loving his neighbor as himself, serving, laying down his life, denying himself to care for others. That's what it means to be truly human. We get it backwards. Third thing, if Jesus learned obedience through suffering and struggles, so will we. If that's how Jesus learned it, we're going to learn it the same way he did. That's what I love about Jesus, though. He entered into the fray with us. Now, that word obedience probably can conjure up bad feelings or, what? ooh, I disobeyed. And obviously, it it means that. But obedience means I really believe that God is good and that what he tells me to do or not to do is best because he loves me. And then I obey. I do what he says to do because I'm pursuing his kind of life. He's the creator. We're the creation. Now, 2020 was a difficult year struggles, pain, fear, fighting, all of the mess, right? It was tough. There was loss, people still struggling. We don't know what 2021 is going to be like. Just because New Year's Day happened doesn't mean, boom, it's all magic pill and it's all gone. There's plenty going on. But here's what I know. If you went through loss, struggling, suffering, then you're learning obedience. You're learning that God really is good. He loves you and is working in your life. And we're learning that Jesus really knows what he's talking about, when he teaches. That gives him so much credibility, I'll give him my life, give him, I'm banking my very, very existence on what he said and did. I pray you that same for you because we're never going to, we're never gonna underestimate Jesus. He is greater than we ever dreamed. And the gospel is greater than we ever can comprehend. And then lastly, we have a Savior. This is the implications for us. We have a Savior who empathizes with us because he understands the human struggle and has real power to help us. Now, many people make New Year's resolutions or you want to change habits, you want to do something in this new year, and I think that's great. But here's what I know. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to break habits, if you want all of that, you don't need willpower, you need real power. You need supernatural power, something outside of ourselves to empower us to be the kind of person that God created us to be and intends for us to be. It says in Hebrews 2 about Jesus, He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that He can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. Isn't that good? That'd be a good scripture to memorize. You need help in your life, in your struggle from someone who's been through it. Sympathy is feeling sorry for somebody for what they're going through, but you've never experienced what they go through. That's sympathy. Uh, Empathy is I feel bad for the person, but I've also been through that. And so you can understand a little bit. And that's why people, when you, you comfort those with the same comfort you've received from God, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, because somebody can help you. We have a Savior who's been there and done that. I can't overemphasize that, because I hear people say it all the time, like they just turn to Jesus, and it's like, to them, that's a cliche, or it's just a statement, but truly, he's entered in. He's entered into humanity, the struggle. He came into the fallen world, and he didn't take the easy way out. He didn't take the easy way through the school of life. He got right in with everybody else. Then it says in Hebrews 4 about Jesus, he understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. So we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Boldly come to the throne of grace because of Jesus. We have that confidence. That's my prayer this year for myself, is that I'll just keep growing in confidence in Jesus, in conviction of his love and who he is. That's my prayer for all of us. And so as we'll see throughout the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus is a compassionate, all-wise Savior. That's what we're going to learn. And I don't know people watching online or people in this room where everybody's faith is. Maybe you don't believe God exists. You've been walking with Jesus for 60 years. Regardless of where you're at, I believe with all my heart, Jesus is the answer for everything. He's the answer for everything we're longing for. He's the answer to everything we're looking for. He's the healer, he's the redeemer, he's the sustainer, he's the creator of all things. We're going to see that Jesus came to fulfill his mission, as he says in the Gospel of Luke, to seek and save that which is lost. And There's two kinds of lostness. There's a lostness and you don't know it, so who cares? <laughs> there's a lostness and you know it, and that's scary. Like, if you've ever been really lost or you know, out in the mountains or whatever, not a a good feeling. But if you address both of those, Jesus is the answer for both kinds of lostness. If you're lost and you know it, then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If someone's lost and they don't know it, Jesus says, put my teachings into practice and you'll realize who I am and you won't be lost. And we never have to be lost when we put our faith, hope, and trust in him. So this morning, I uh, love kicking off the new year. This is good to have this one service and, and to, to see faces I haven't seen in a while, and brand new faces. This is wonderful to, to worship together, and that we get to do this. We're going to take communion. And if you didn't get communion, um, did you get every, if you didn't get communion, uh, somebody will bounce up and, and get it to you. Uh, raise your hand. if you want communion, you didn't get it. Raise your hand if you're sure. Okay, that went over your head. (laughs) Somebody laughed, appreciate it. (laughs) So, COVID communion. (laughs) The little juice and the little bread. Normally, we have tables up here with... Loaves of bread, gluten-free bread, I mean, it's awesome. And we're going to get back to that soon. But COVID communion's better than no communion, right, Bradley? It's better, it's better. Now, before we take communion together, uh, I want to remind you that the sacraments that Jesus put into, to, into for us to practice, two sacraments, water baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion. Now, water baptism is when somebody is dry here, and they're standing, they died with Christ, go under the water, buried with him, and raised to new life. It's symbolic of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're identifying that when we get baptized, and we're going to be offering water baptism pretty soon as well. Um, but you're identifying with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's, it is a outward expression of an inward reality that I, I, I'm following Jesus. I'm with him. Communion is the body of Christ. His body was broken for us. He submitted himself to death to conquer death, to conquer sin. He conquered sin and his life that he never sinned even though he was fully human and then he defeated the work of the devil his body was broken his blood was was spilled as it ushered in the new covenant the sacrifice of all sacrifices now the sacraments of baptism and communion preach the gospel without words when you see somebody get baptized that's the gospel I don't have to say any. When we eat and drink this, the gospel's being preached. You're preaching it to yourself. You want to take the bread out? Maybe today you're watching, maybe you're here and God is stirring something in you a longing to know Jesus more. I say today is the day to just say, Jesus, I'm coming into agreement with you. You are who you say you are, and I am who you say I am. And I believe you love me. I believe you came to show me what God was like. I give you back my life. Do with it what you will. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He gets to call the shots. Whatever shots he's calling, they're good, and it's for your best. Everything is always for your best. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and he lifted it to heaven, and he blessed it. He told his disciples, he said, do this. This represents my body that's going to be broken. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. same way after supper Jesus took a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it and he said this cup represents my blood of the new covenant no more sacrifices, no more of that he He is it and Jesus did this at the, the, the night that he was betrayed and he served them and he washed their feet as a servant may we be that to one another, to our families, to our church family to our neighbors. Let's do it in remembrance of him. Would you stand? We're going to sing and we're going to pledge allegiance or re-pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus. He's the only one worthy of our allegiance. He'll never steer you wrong. Let's sing this together.
2: up his life the darkest day in history here on the cross they made for sinners for every curse his blood atoned a final breath and it was finished Not the end we could have known. For the earth began to shake, and the hill was torn. What sacrifice was made as the hill.
1: into this new year. We got an amazing Savior. He loves you. He's with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. We do. Circumstances do, but he he won't. He's going to be your rock, rock solid for this new year, and whatever he has planned for us. And um, so may the Lord bless you keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, give you his peace this day and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.